The Ask Anatomist podcast is co-sponsored by the Faculty of Medicine, Nursing, and Health Sciences at Monash University and by the American Association for Anatomy. Welcome to Ask Anatomist, a podcast for the medically curious. Today's episode, truthfully speaking, what is the paleo diet? I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Lazarus, an associate professor in the Center for Human Anatomy Education in the Faculty of Medicine, Nursing, and Health Sciences at Monash University. Just before we get started, I want to remind our audience that the following episode is for informational and educational purposes only. Discussions that take place do not replace consultation with your medical health professional nor the prescriptions provided by them. Please consult a medical professional before adapting to your own circumstance anything you hear on this podcast. Hi, listeners. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Often, when people think about going to the dentist, they're filled with a sense of dread. What are teeth but a means to an end, a pit stop before swallowing your food? In fact, teeth hold complex information. For example, every person has a unique tooth print and teeth hold secrets to our evolution and origins. Today, we'll be exploring dental anatomy and anthropology around this topic. We have an excellent team of panelists here. Would you like to introduce yourselves? Hi, my name is Luca Fioranza. I will be the tooth expert. G'day there, my name is Chris, and I am an interested community member. I think that most people think of teeth as being a single thing. Is there anything anatomically different between them? We do have different type of dentition, which refers to the teeth in your mouth, and we have four different types. So we do have incisor, which are the front tooth in your mouth. Then we have canine, which are the one that you know you see in vampires, and then we have premolars, which are usually two, and then after the premolars we have the molars, which are the larger teeth in your mouth that serve to chew the food you eat. Interestingly, molar means a millstone or large stone, and as Luca pointed out, that's exactly their purpose, to break down food. Are teeth solid and made of the same material throughout, or are there different components to them? The tooth is basically component by different layers. The one on the outer surface is the enamel, which is actually is the hardest part of your body. And that's why archaeologists, anthropologists, they mostly study teeth because they're the ones that are most often found in the archaeological sites. Then we do have dentin, which is a little bit softer compared to the enamel layer. And then inside the tooth, we have the pulp, which is basically formed by a bone-like tissue material. Each tooth has its own blood supply and innervation, which is unique in the human body. And the third layer is the cement, which is mostly distributed around the root surface. The function of the cement is to attach the periodontal ligament to the surface of the root. So the enamel part that you talked about earlier, humans can't regrow that part, right? No, enamel, once it's formed, can only change when you chew your food. So basically the enamel is going to be removed. What would happen if the enamel was to be removed from your tooth? If the enamel is removed from the tooth completely, then because the dentin is softer, it's going to be worn at a much faster rate and then can reach the innervation and then start to cause pain. And that might be indicative of a cavity. Yeah, that's correct. And things that we do every day, such as whiten our teeth, etc., can actually affect the quality of the enamel. 
Yes, I think now things have changed, but in the past they were using this toothpaste to make your teeth more white and they were using sands. And basically what it was doing is basically it was very abrasive material. It was actually removing the enamel and making your dentition more vulnerable to pain for uh, cold water or hot food. One way to study the diet of past human population is basically to look how the enamel is worn down. So we use very sophisticated computer model to measure how this uh, wear is created and therefore we are able to reconstruct the diet of past human population. Taking a step back, what is involved in the chewing process? Interestingly, chewing, otherwise known as mastication, takes more than just teeth. It's a complex interplay between bony and muscular structures and their innervation. Embryologically, the muscles of mastication, muscles that help us with chewing, and the primary bones of mastication are all from the same structure, pharyngeal arch 1. And thus, they're actually all innervated by the same parent nerve, the trigeminal nerve, and thus the branches off of the trigeminal nerve. The primary bones of mastication are the mandible, or lower jaw, and the maxilla, or upper jaw. These bones are actually highly changeable and will alter their shape depending on genetics as well as the presence of teeth within them. A newborn's jaw will be proportionally thinner to an adult's because the teeth haven't formed yet. Interestingly, ear position, whether it's low or high, is also influenced by the jaw. The more developed the mandible is, the higher the ears are placed. Chewing and keeping food in place requires musculature in addition to these bony structures, which will act on them. Once food enters the oral cavity, lingual or tongue manipulation is critical. This is primarily done by a series of muscles innervated by cranial nerve 12, also known as the hypoglossal nerve. Interestingly, the ability to taste food, considered a special sensation since it only occurs in the head and neck, is done by another series of nerves. These nerves include the facial nerve, cranial nerve 7, glossopharyngeal nerve, cranial nerve 9, and vagus nerve, cranial nerve 10. So if you're having trouble tasting or food tastes bland, it's actually a pretty complicated series of nerves that are allowing that to happen. Once the food's tasted and you decide to continue to chew it instead of spitting it out, the tongue moves the food to either side of the mouth to be chewed. At this point, some muscles are also required for keeping food in our mouth and between our teeth. These muscles, collectively known as muscles of facial expression because they help us smile or communicate visually to each other, include the buccinator and abicularis oris, amongst a few others. They're all innervated by somatic motor branch of the facial nerve because they're all from, embryologically, the same structure, known as pharyngeal arch 2. The lips essentially help keep food in the mouth, with the buccinator keeping food between the teeth. This is the muscle that, if you blow a trumpet, gets big and puffy. So the tongue needs to be free and movable within the oral cavity to perform this function of moving the food between your teeth and keeping it in your mouth. Some of our listeners might have heard of something called tongue-tied. This is actually a real medical phenomena where the tongue is not able to move freely because the distal or front portion of the tongue remains attached to the oral cavity floor, where it developed. Essentially, the structure known as the frenulum extends too far anteriorly. The frenulum is that little piece of tissue when you lift your tongue up to the roof of the mouth and you look in the mirror, that piece of tissue that's connecting to the floor is called the frenulum. 
In Latin, frenulum means bridal or little bridal. So essentially, it's sort of helping control the orientation or direction of the tongue. These seem like a lot of structures, but these are just some of the many structures and nerves involved with proper mastication and really highlights how complex chewing, swallowing, and getting food into our gut tube is. There are other structures which we won't talk about on this podcast, including salivary glands, which help break down food, which we may cover in future podcasts. Is there a standard or a system for identifying or naming the teeth? Yes, there are many different systems depending on which field you work. Typically, in an adult dentition, you divide the mouth into four quadrants, two in the upper dentition and two in the lower dentition. In a clockwise direction, we number the quadrants then upper right, quadrant one, upper left, quadrant two, lower left, quadrant three, lower right, quadrant four. So if we look in details into one quadrant, you will find the first two teeth will be the incisors. Then you have one canine, two premolars, and three molars. So the incisors in a quadrant would be teeth one and two, canine would be tooth three, premolars would be teeth four and five, molars would be teeth six, seven, and eight, with the eight being the wisdom teeth, so many people may not have number eight. And if we put it all together, you number the teeth with the quadrant. So let's say I'm talking about the right upper canine, I would say one, three. So it's quadrant one, tooth three. If I was to get pain in a specific tooth, say one located at two, four, what would be causing or contributing to that pain? So in this example, that would be upper left quadrant, one of the premolars. And innervation to teeth is actually essential for proper awareness and sensation. So in this case, the patient might be experiencing pain, which is sort of telling them to take a break, pause, and maybe see their dentist. The primary nerve involved is the trigeminal nerve we talked about a little bit earlier, or cranial nerve 5. Specifically, there are branches of this that are known as the maxillary and mandibular divisions. The superior alveolar nerve innervates the maxillary, that upper section of teeth, and the inferior alveolar nerve innervates the mandibular teeth. Significantly, this can lead to confusion about pain. The maxillary sinus, that bony sinus or space which sits on either side of our nose that many of us know about most likely because it's become filled with infection or bacteria or virus combined with our own immune cells, and it becomes really painful. Sometimes we end up at the dentist in this case because we think we have severe tooth pain, or a painful tooth could be perceived as a sinus infection. This confusion is actually because the maxillary sinus and the maxillary teeth both receive sensory innervation or sensory information from the same nerve, that superior alveolar nerve, which is a branch of trigeminal. In Latin, alveolus actually means a small beehive or the cells of honeycomb. And in this case, we're using alveolus to refer to the socket in which the tooth sits. Sometimes when I bite into a cold ice cream or drink a really cold drink, I get a strong zapping or buzzing sensation in my tooth. Would I be correct in guessing that this is the irritation of the nerve in my tooth? That's correct. There are some mammals, like the narwhal. The tusk you see is one deformed or modified tooth. It's the only tooth he has in his mouth and is not covered by enamel. 
So it's basically exposed to the environment and it uses this task for a, a sensory organ to collect information about the environment. For example, it's used for hunting to localize the prey and also to find potential female in the environment. From a human evolution perspective, what can we learn about individuals or the human species from teeth? Well, the dentition holds many a lot of interesting information. We can estimate the age of death of an individual and then it's usually used in forensic. But it's also important to reconstruct how fast we were growing. Humans are very unique in the way that their maturation is very slow. So we are unique among mammals because our growth is very slow and this allows us to learn as much as possible from our parents to gain as much information as possible to interpret the world that is around us. And another important aspect that we can reconstruct from the analysis of the dentition is to see what they were eating and how they were living. For example, if you imagine that you have a tree trunk and you cut the tree and you start to count all the circle around the tree. Basically, the enamel is formed in the same pathway. So basically, by counting this incremental line that you find in internal tooth tissues, we can count exactly at what age a person died. But we can also gain much more information. So sometimes there are periods of stress where cause animal defect, so the animal doesn't form properly, and therefore we can even have the precise age of when this stress occurred. For example, there have been studied in a gorilla population when they look on the dentition and they could see how fast they were growing. But they can also see that the specific age, taken from the field record, the mother was poached and the baby suffered stress in the specific day that we have this information. So just like the rings on the tree, when you cut it down, you can identify the age of the tree and also see periods of drought or stress on that tree. And we have the same thing that can occur in our teeth. Yeah, that's correct. Actually, for things that are not that old, let's say within five to 10,000 years ago, archaeologists use the tree to basically dating the fossil site by counting the rings. And uh, this is called dendrochronology. It's the science they use to measure the rings of the tree to date an archaeological site. What are some of the features of fossilized teeth that can be used to inform us of the behavior of the animals that were living at that time? Well, there are several features that we can look at. It. The first one, you look on the tooth shape and also on the size of the dentition. For example, if we look on the cows, you will see that he has very flat molar and is moving his mouth horizontally. On the other hand, if you look on a cat, on a dog, they are specialized teeth, which are called a carnassial teeth, that they are used to chop the meat and swallow it. So it's a really different system in the way you chew the food you eat. So it sounds like the anatomy of the teeth can actually inform us on what type of food and how the food was eaten for each of the species. That's correct, because each food has its own uh, physical property, and food with different physical properties will also require a different type of shape. There are primates that tend to eat only fruits, they're going to have very large incisors, so they're very important to bite the food. Otherwise, you have primates that tend to eat mostly leaves, and you will see that the incisors are very small because they're not very useful for chewing this type of food. If we were to reverse engineer human evolution, what type of food would you say our teeth have evolved to eat? Well, it provides us a lot of information, very crucial information for understanding the evolution of ourselves. If you look very in the past, a few million years ago in Africa, you will see that our first early ancestor, they have very large molars. 
And the study of the dentition suggests that all these early ancestors, they were mostly vegetarian. What happened around 2 million years ago, you see that the dentition start to become smaller and smaller, and also our brain size is start to increase. There was a shift around 2 million years ago in the food we were eating. This probably because of using fire for processing food, which basically took off the pressure on our mouth. So we didn't need to have very large molars anymore because we could start process the food before it was entering the mouth. So does that mean that if we hadn't invented fire, we wouldn't have become as smart as we are? Well, we're still not sure if it was the fire or actually a change in the diet itself. But that's true. In order to fuel our brain, which is a very expensive organ, we need to provide much more nutrient type of food. Here in Australia, we have a very nice and cute animal, the koala, which have very small brain, and this because it eats very low quality type of food. For that reason, it needs to spend most of its time sleeping because it's not sustainable for himself to be more active for the type of food he's eating. Given what we know of teeth, what was the paleo diet during that specific period of evolution? The paleo diet basically doesn't exist because our key elements of our success is to be flexible. So we basically eat what we find in nature. In fact, if we look on the dentition of this past human population, we can see actually that the diet was very variable. You will find that population like Neanderthal living in the cold, we probably exploit mostly meat because that was the type of food they could find. On the other hand, other population living in warmer climates, they will exploit also different type of food, including plants, mushrooms. We are evidence from caves from the Near East in Israel of Neanderthal that were also eating grains and legumes. So that's not true that we are not adapted to eat this type of food. Our studies show that actually Neanderthal was a little bit more sophisticated than was previously thought, and he was basically eating everything he could find in the nature, from animals, plants, fruits, any sort of things. In summary, our teeth sort of illustrate that technically modern humans and Neanderthals are omnivores. Yeah, we are omnivores since maybe 2 million years ago. We do have a very generalized type of dentition, so which is most suitable for eating any sort of things from plants and animals. And that's what we still are. But who knows, maybe in the future we will change. Since humans evolve and change over time, is this the reason why some people don't have or don't get their wisdom teeth? Actually, most of modern society and population, their wisdom teeth doesn't grow properly. However, this is very typical only of this type of society. This probably because we start to eat softer and softer food that we don't chew properly anymore. For example, if we look at contemporary hunter-gatherer population, which they chew a lot because they don't process their food as we do, we see that by age of 18, the time when the third molar is erupted, they all have a complete dentition by that age. So it could be that because we don't chew the food as other population were doing, we are losing the wisdom tooth. So our lunch quickly in front of our desk or computer could actually be causing us to lose our wisdom teeth and evolve differently than those who have time to chew more food. That's probably right. For example, the Japanese society, which eat very soft food, everything is very small bites. You're also going to see that it's one of the population with the highest number of frequency of dental pathologies in the world. And that's related to the food we eat. It sounds like a case of use it or lose it. But when exactly did we start to have problems with our teeth? 
especially as it's highly unlikely that there were Neanderthal dentists around. Neanderthal didn't have dentists, but we have evidence that they were cleaning their teeth using toothpicks. And probably this is invention of toothpick date back to one or two million years ago. Anyway, oral disease actually is a kind of a recent problem in paleontological terms, because if you look on a hunter-gatherer population, so before the invention of agriculture, they all had very healthy teeth. It's very rare that you find any oral cavity in their dentition. With the invention of agriculture and increase in sugar, you will start to see that this population start to have very bad teeth with a lot of oral cavity, misaligned dentition, and so on. So actually, all this pathology developed very recently. So it's not just issues with the teeth themselves, such as the cavities, but it's also to do with how the teeth align. That's correct. In 18th and 19th century, with the Industrial Revolution, we processed the food much more than we did in the past. And for that reason, we don't chew a lot anymore. And this brought to a disequilibrium in the mouth that caused the teeth to be misaligned. So as we talked about really early in the podcast, the maxilla and mandible bones, they're actually changeable. And the forces pushed on them change the shape of the bones and the teeth sit within this. So any change in forces will change the alignment of the teeth sitting in these bones. That's correct. Misaligned teeth is not only an aesthetical problem, but also is a physical problem because you start to have problems in the temporal mandibular joint, so you don't chew very well properly, and also this can cause headache. This has been a fascinating discussion on teeth and all of what they can tell us, especially as it relates to diet and the misunderstandings about the paleo diet. Thanks, everyone, for joining me on today's podcast. Don't forget to head over to our website, askanatomist.com, for more episodes and links to resources. And follow us on Twitter. So if there's a topic you'd like us to cover, don't hesitate to ask anatomist and use the hashtag anatq.